Think insurance is boring? Think again. Many experts say that insurance is the most powerful industry on the planet. So join us and discover why the Quarters Cast is making insurance super cool. Today on the, the Quarters Cast, I've got uh, Anmol Singh. And uh, Anmol is a stock market trader and investor. And he's based in New York. Uh, he's been featured on Forbes, Fox, and ABC News. Uh, he's the author of the book Prepping for Success, as well as the founder of Live, Tra- Live Traders at LiveTraders.com. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with you, Anmol. And let's um, let's start with uh, the Live Traders. Um, I'm curious about your background and uh, how it, how you came to founding that platform. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I started, uh, you know, trading in my dorm room. I went to uh, Brunel University in London. So studying for a business degree and uh, the way the universities work there is before you graduate, you have to do like a year of like internships or, you know, a job. And I found myself in a situation where I applied everywhere, but couldn't get a call back, didn't get a job. Uh, and I saw all my friends, uh, you know, getting great jobs. So it really kind of dawned on me that I have to can't rely on anybody. I have to figure out something to do. So while I was just sitting there as a little introvert kid in my dorm room, researching on things that I could do from home, what else can I start? Because I have a year that I have to do some sort of work. And that's where the stock market like really caught my eye, you know, it caught my attention. And I just started reading a lot of books, taking a lot of courses and really finding the mentors in that area. Yeah. Uh, and while I was in my dorm room, I just started uh, trading the stock market and uh rest is, has been history. But you started right there in college. And I've been doing that ever since, basically. All right. That's that's an amazing success story. And I think a lot of people would love to be able to say the same thing. But why is it different for you? Because I think a lot of people are fascinated with the, the stock market and they've tried it. Why did you get success when so many other people don't? Yeah, I think because, as you said, right, a lot of people try it. Like, I, I go all in. Like, if I want to learn something about a particular field or particular endeavor, I devour myself with all the information that I can get my hands on. And that's also because I think you're curious about it. I think if you get in it just for the money or the stock market looks appealing, uh, it's not going to get you through those tough times because the whole first year I didn't make any money, right? So most people would have already quit by then and said, oh, this doesn't work out for me. Whereas I just kept going, I kept you know tracking my trades, maintaining spreadsheets of this type of a trade versus that type of trade, really collecting different types of data, uh, and then finding the right mentors. Even if I had to pay you know big amount of money to find somebody who was a successful trader, and just basically did everything that they told me to do. Uh, they took me under the wing. This older gentleman, and uh, he basically taught me how to trade. Then he gave me a job at his uh, trading company, and kind of took me under the wing a little bit more. Uh, and then eventually we started our own company together, which is Live Traders Today. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. So that's that's interesting. So a mentorship as well as, um, you know, a, being a founder. So uh, take us through uh, how that developed. Again, it just seems, uh, you know, I appreciate your work ethic. It just seems like uh, almost a little bit like a fairy tale, really, the way you describe it. And I, I don't want to take away from your work ethic at all. It just seems like not everyone gets that opportunity. And and the fact that your mentor has, is now a, a co-founder and took you under his wing. Uh, what did he see in you that was really special? I think in the beginning, he didn't see anything with me. I think in the <laughs> beginning, 
I had to actually outlay a lot of money to work with him, right? So I saved up a lot of money and uh, his program at that point used to be tens of thousands of dollars, which I saved working, you know, through college, doing different jobs. I saved about seven, eight thousand dollars and I paid him for taking his programs and taking his courses. That's kind of how I got there. And that's how the relationship started. Uh, but then one of the things that I did is most people would just, you know, learn from somebody and then that would be that. Whereas I would constantly be emailing him, hey, what do you think about this trade? I took? What do you think about that? So he could see that I'm actually interested in my own learning and not just one of those people who just, you know, purchase a program and never follow through with it. So I kept asking him questions and I kept sharing with him, not even expecting a reply. I would just email him every day. Hey, here's what I did today. I just want to give you an update. And he kind of liked that. And he started giving me uh, feedback back via email. We kept our relationship going. Uh, eventually we would get on Skype calls back in the day where there was Skype. Mm-hmm. So we used to get on it, uh, do our calls. And that's how it started. And then one day they were short on staff on their trading company that he was a part of. He's like, Hey, you know, uh, you've been doing really well with the program and stuff. Uh, I need your help. I need you to come on here for like an hour. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be there. And I was there. I, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. Uh, and then that internship or that little gig for an hour turned into an internship. Then that turned into me working for the company. Uh, and then eventually uh, when that company got bought out, I called him up. I said, hey, are you joining the new company that's being bought out? Or I think we should start our own thing. I'm your case study right here. You know, you have everything. And as part of the firm, I was splitting percentage of everything I made from my trading and giving it to the firm. I said, we don't need to give them a percentage anymore. So like uh, I could handle all the online stuff. You can leave it up to me, the online marketing and whatever we need to do for the business. You focus on what you've done with me, just teaching others how to do it. And I kind of phrased it as a you know win-win situation. And you know that's kind of how it led to one thing led to another. Well, that's uh, an excellent story to to uh, uh, suggesting to people how you can make your own opportunities. And to that, uh, I was taking a look at live traders, and it seems to be a combination of a trading platform as well as a teaching platform. Mm-hmm. And I also know you're big on trading psychology. And I think that seems to be a little different. Not a lot of platforms are sort of incorporating all three of those. So can you speak to uh, the uniqueness of your platform, live traders? Right. So we basically use the same model that worked on me uh, because a lot of traders uh, usually takes about three years for people to really get it. Uh, But I was one of the traders in the firm who kind of got it about the year two mark. Right. I got it a bit quicker than other people. So I said, hey, let's use the exact same model of, you know, people go through the programs and they have to email us the feedback and do the exact same thing you did with me. And then that'll be a case study to shorten people's learning curve and get them the results that they want. So we said, okay, how can we do that? Well, we definitely need to provide them education. But then not only that, is there any way that they can kind of virtually even sit next to us and watch us do it? Because it's one thing to learn from like a textbook as a course, but one thing to actually watch somebody do it live in front of you. So then we started like the live platform where I and me my partner we trade every single day and people get to see it in real time you know win or lose it's happening in life so there's nothing that could be changed uh, and i think that also keeps us accountable because not what we're teaching we're doing mm-hmm. but then also teaches the uh student on hey how are they handling themselves when there's a lot of money's on the line when you're making money when you're losing money how is they emotionally handling i think that was important um, missing piece to that so we just kept adding different tools and things that we can offer to help shorten their learning curve because that's what it's kind of all about right now. Okay. One thing also I noticed about live traders is that you seem to have like a simpler method. You sort of boiled it down to something that works well and, and you keep it simple. 
And so how does, please tell us more about that. Yeah, I think a lot of people when it comes to trading, uh, they do complicate it a lot. They want to yeah. look at fundamental. Now, let me look at the company. What's the CEO doing? What's the balance sheet like? Let's look at the charts. Let's look at the indicators. And what happens is you kept just you get stuck in the loop of just analyzing. Now, you're an mm-hmm. analyst. You're not a trader, right? Trader needs to trade. Uh, so uh, you get stuck in, well, one thing is telling me to buy, but then the company is not that great. I don't know if I should buy. And then you just keep doubting yourself. So what we've done is we created a simple system, which is just based on price action. We're not looking at anything else. And uh, what we've done with that system is we've back-tested it over the last 30, 40, 50 years and to to see that, okay, it, this is something that works and that continuously will work in the, in the future as well. So we kept it down to something that could be teachable, that could be learned, that everybody can follow. And um, yeah, I think an online platforms offer a lot of different opportunities for people to learn via live streams, via educational courses and things of that nature. Right. Okay. And so what would be the best place for people to start if they wanted to, uh, you know, join your, go to the website and then what would you suggest? I know you have a newsletter and you have a, several offerings. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think first thing people will need to do is to determine like how deep they want to get into it. Like if you're somebody who already has another job, you know, you're working nine to five, you have another business, that's your main focus. Then day trading, which is trading in and out every single day, is probably not right for you, right? Uh, but then there's other styles of trading you can do, which is swing trading, where you're holding stocks for a few weeks, maybe sometimes a few days. So you're not in and out all day like I am. Like I can do that because that's my job. I do it every single day. I have mm-hmm. to do it. Um, but if somebody is looking to get started, then how much time can you give into is number one. Uh, and then once you've determined that, the next step for you is to go to livetraders.com where uh, it's a free account, make an account, you get a free introductory course, you get the guides. There's hours and hours of free lectures on our uh, YouTube channel, tons of blog posts, 90% of our stuff that we offer is completely for free. And then obviously once you've learned that and you've determined, okay, I can maybe do this, this is something I can get into. And then that that's the point where you might just you know email us, get in touch and see how we can help you go further. All right, excellent. So what about diversification? Uh, are you into real estate? Do you do options, anything like that? How does this spill over into other areas? Yeah, no, I think that's the beauty about trading because I started, as I said, in my dorm room and didn't have any money to do real estate or any of that. So I started with trading and then trading was a way for me to get the money. So once I generate cash flow or income from my trading, then I take a percentage of my trading profits that automatically gets invested, either an index fund or different stocks that I'm not really touching. I'm just putting it and I keep adding to it every month. So that's one thing that I do. And then a percentage of my income goes towards my investment fund, right? Um, so let's say 10 or 20, 20%. So once that investment fund is accumulated to a decent investable amount, and at that point, I either look for opportunities that could be the real estate. So I do a lot of Airbnb stuff, not in the US, but internationally. So we have a few properties that we have on Airbnb. Uh, and then the other things that I might do is I also angel invest to so have about 32 different startup companies that I'm an investor in. So we would I get two to three deals every single day, uh, people offering their companies or this project or invest in that project. But I only invest in two or three per year. So I look at a lot of deals and I make my decision on which one I invest in. So that'll be part of the angel investments. Wow, you're a busy guy. So do you actually, you you were a mentor to, uh, or you've been mentored. Do you mentor others? Uh, do you take somebody directly under your wing? Um, so at Live Traders, we do. So we have different coaching programs, but primarily I've been sticking to uh, group coaching just to make the best use of my time. 
Um, but that's kind of what I've been doing at the moment. I, there's some certain clients that I work with one-on-one, but though they would only be if they've already seen a lot of success and maybe now they want to start a hedge fund. So then I'll help them with that process to get that ball rolling. That sounds like a like a big deal, like a hedge fund. Like, And I know in recent years, it's kind of been, there's a trend with uh, combining a lot of different investments like Forex and crypto into a hedge fund. And so can you speak to that? Because it seems like a bit of a phenomenon now. Yeah, I think uh, with, uh, you know, with the Internet, with technology, especially with what recently happened in 2020, people are looking to see what else they can do. So fund uh, launching a fund has obviously been popularized in the last few years. But uh, I think it's a risky thing that's going on because a lot of people aren't they don't they're looking at the funds because they're good at raising money. They're good at networking. But I don't think it's going to end well because uh, these type of firms shouldn't really be formed in a fund format. Um, so the, when I'm teaching people how to form a traditional hedge fund, that'll be like a traditional hedge fund. You're only doing investment in stock market and you're not doing everything. Um, I don't know uh, how this would play out because I've seen a lot of people who don't really have the industry experience, but they have a big network. They're raising money. And uh, from what I've seen lately, uh, it hasn't been going well for a lot of people. Ah, that's that's interesting. Um, now, with uh, the quarters cast, we we talk a lot about insurance, and so how does insurance play into to what you do, or or does it at all? Do you need like the uh, to mitigate risk uh, in that way and need insurance? Yeah, so in trading, uh, we don't really need insurance per se, but there's different ways to protect the risk on your trades via options. So if you have a stock, you can always sell an option against your stock. So that way your your risk is protected. So those are the strategies that we might employ, but we don't really have any uh, play in the insurance space per se, although my Airbnb properties and stuff, they require a good amount of insurance. Right. Okay. So let's talk about your book, Prepping for Success. And I know you've got uh, 10 steps and I want to go through them a bit. And, and so uh, tell us how why you wrote the book and what people can expect to get from it. Sure. So I initially, you know, this book wasn't really meant to be published as like a book or for me to publish it. I, it was kind of part of my journal. So, you know, I was kind of embarked on a personal development journey uh, when I moved to America and I was kind of finding myself. So I was going through my own little journey of, you know, attending personal development workshops, seminars, books, courses, hiring trainers, hiring coaches. Uh, it's been, you know, way a lot of six figures on just working on myself and then obviously what I realized is that not everybody has that amount of money to spend to try to learn it. And there's a lot of information out there. So initially this was written as notes to myself when I landed to America. I was like, okay, this these are the things, 10 things I need to do in my own life. This is how I need to operate and live my life by if I'm to get to where I want to go to, which is what I call success. So that's what's called prepping for success because I was preparing for success. And then, you know, one of my friends, he read the notes. He's like, this is actually great. You should can I get, get these notes? I'm like, no, these are my journal. <laughs> I can't give it to you. He's like, you should publish it in a book format. And uh, th- that's kind of when I hired editor. We kind of sat together and then turned into a book format. So basically, I, I wrote a book that I wish somebody gave me 10 years ago. Would have made life a whole lot easier. Um, and now I tend to do, uh, plan on doing the same for other people. All right. Well, excellent. That's great. Um, what's your favorite uh, tip here, success tip of the 10? So one of those, this is actually a very simple one, but it's also the hardest one and also the biggest needle moving one, which is being a man or a woman of integrity, right? Being a person of integrity, meaning do what you said you're going to do and then do it when you said you're going to do it. 
I mean, just think about it. How much would our lives be different if we did every single thing we said we're going to do and then we did it when we said we're going to do it? So just operating by that paradigm of, hey, paying a close attention to what's coming out of my mouth, like really believing in my own words, because that leads to self-esteem and self-confidence. Because if you don't believe in your own word, if you say I'm going to do something, then you don't. Slowly, your unconscious mind starts saying, well, this, you know, she or he or she doesn't believe it, right? They just keep saying it. They're not going to do it. And that leads into low self-esteem, low confidence. And then that leads into a vicious circle where you keep saying you're going to do it, but then you don't. A lot of people find themselves stuck in that loop, and I sure did. So I think that was one of the things to realize is that, hey, whatever I'm going to say, make sure I really mean it. Otherwise, I'm not going to say it. Because uh, if I don't believe in my own word, how do I expect the world? How do I expect the universe to believe in me? Right. No, I think that's excellent advice. And I wish more politicians would take it. So <laughs> 100%. So what's the most difficult? Because it sounds to me like you've had such a, a, a tremendous rise in your in your career. What's been the most difficult part and how did you handle it? I think the most difficult part was I have a tendency to get really involved with my work, like, uh, you know, by intensity, so to speak. So when I get too into it, then I, you know, sometimes could tend to ignore other areas. And that was one of the challenges that I had was like, I was very introverted. I was like, all right, I'm going to just sit down and I'm going to get this done. It's me and the computer. We're going to figure it out. And I had a very kind of not so humble mentality. It was like me against the world. I'll figure it out. It was a very angry mindset. I think I had a lot of work I needed to do on that. Um, and maybe where it was coming from, but it was one of those things that I wanted to prove something to the world. And that was kind of what going, but now I'm at a phase of my life where I don't have to prove anything to anybody. So I have to prove something to myself, which is going to uh, the next level. So the hardest challenge was just balancing or, you know, trying to manage all of those different areas like social life and then manage your health and manage your finances, manage your employees. So that could have get a bit overwhelming in the beginning. Uh, but that's also because I was new. So now that I've been doing it for a while, there's uh, realize that there's no such thing as balance. You just try to harmonize everything, create harmony between all those areas. Oh, well, that's an interesting viewpoint because I was, you know, you seem like a, a young guy, and I was going to ask about your social life because you seem so busy that you don't have time to to date or or find a a, a wife. I'm, I I don't want to pry too much, but how <laughs> how do you sort of harmonize all that? Yeah. So uh, the way I, I did it initially was by not doing anything. It was just work, work, work. Right. And then yeah. after that, I realized, OK, there you got to, you know, what, what's the use of the money if you're not going to you know build relationships or have a good family life? So at, at that point, I kind of made a conscious effort to, you know, start getting in touch with my family, you know, getting in touch with everybody and mending the relationships. And uh, same thing for social life, uh, hosting events. I started hosting my own events, inviting people to it. Uh, and that's kind of how I made it happen, because. I realized that with the things that I'm doing, I wouldn't have time to hang out with everybody one-on-one, -on -one, but I can host an event and get everybody together. So that way I can only, you know, just do one big event a week or one event a month and meet everybody in one go. So that's kind of how I uh, fixed that situation. Oh, that's excellent. So where are you based and what kind of hobbies do you do? So I'm in New York City, uh, Manhattan, right on Wall Street. Okay. As far as hobbies, that's a really good question. I always get stumped on that specific question. <laughs> Because uh, um, for me, it doesn't feel like work. Like, uh, you know, for trading is a sport to me. Because just like a sports person goes through ups and downs, forms, now you're struggling, then you're doing well. Uh, and trading is more like that. Um, so a lot of my time is involved with the stock market, uh, advising my clients and things of that nature. But I, I do love to take, you know, put on my headphones, go by the water, take a nice little stroll, take a walk. Um, that's kind of my typical routine. 
and I host a lot of events. So once a month, we'll do an event in New York City uh, where we'll invite everybody. Could be a brunch event, could be a dinner event, could be a big party. Um, and that's pretty much uh, my hobby. No such specific hobbies, although working out, I guess, uh, recently getting back in the habit. Um, that's one of the things as well. Great. Um, so what do you think about the banking system and some of the things we've seen recently? And and how have your clients approached you and your students approached you about that? Yeah, so the, the ba- banking situation, uh, you know, uh, the, the ones I think that had, had to fall have already been fallen. And that started with the whole cryptocurrency situation, because a lot of those banks had investments in uh, venture capital and private equity and angel investments in crypto projects. So this was the whole domino effect that started long ago with the FTX. Because when that fell, then that resulted in um, other stakeholders losing money. And then they had money stored in the Silicon Valley Bank. And then they ended up losing. So it was like a whole domino effect that slowly trickled down. Um, I do think that the worst is kind of behind us, but there still might be one or two banks uh, still in in the news to go, which uh, we'll find out where that's going to be. But as far as navigating it for me, my students and traders, it doesn't affect too much because we didn't have any positions in uh, any of those banks. So that, that we just mitigated that altogether. We try to focus on uh, trades that are not going to be in the limelight. I call them hype trades where everybody in the world is talking about cryptocurrencies or GME or AMC or whatever, things of that nature. We're always looking for the slow and boring movers that are predictable that have statistically been tested to give us the returns that we're looking for. So we try to just mitigate all of those situations, the volatility. Uh, I will say, though, it's a very interesting time that we're in mm-hmm. uh, ob- overall, geopolitically and politically. We had a very interesting turning point as a crossroad where our whole entire, I guess, humanity could go, either go here or either it could go there. So we're kind of right there right now. And the next few years will really determine the direction we're going to head to. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. So it almost sounds like you're not a big fan of crypto. Uh, is that right? Uh, no, not really. I'm not a fan of Bitcoin. I am a fan of crypto and I'm a fan of certain projects. But just like any new thing, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of bad actors that come into it. Just like back in the dot-com bubble, internet bubble, you would have seen every single internet stock was just going. It could be called, it could, literally, could, when it was called rock.com, it was just a piece of rock. And that went, <laughs> yeah, billions of dollars of valuation. I think that's what's happening in the cryptocurrencies. There's some good, solid projects like Algorand, Ethereum, right? Those are some good, good projects. But then there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of projects that aren't really going to go anywhere. They're just purely based on an influencer or like Dogecoin or mm-hmm. Shiba Coin. They have no utility, no use in the real world, mm-hmm. um, but they still exist. So I think there needs to be one of those downtrending crashes where and after that you're going to see a few cryptocurrencies emerge uh, and then 90 percent of them won't exist a few years from now okay well that's an interesting forecast um one thing i do know about the the insurance industry is that a lot of people predict that that if something happens like we've just been talking about it would be the last domino to fall for many reasons and it's the fact is many of these older well-established insurance companies, whether the ups and downs, the recessions, the the, the dot-com bubbles and, and real estate bubbles very well. So how do you feel about the industry uh, as a whole? And, and how does that fit in with your trading? As the insurance industry? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Tesla, believe it or not, I, I believe is going to be the biggest disruptor to the insurance industry. So that's going to be very interesting to see because Tesla is now uh, getting in the insurance business. So they already offer insurance 
on their Tesla cars, then you could buy insurance from Tesla. Now they have a very specific advantage, which is they have all your car's data, right? How uh, fat, how much you, how much do you break, right? Do you swerve a lot? They have cameras inside your car. Hey, you didn't wear your seatbelt, right? Or the car was jerking, you're breaking. What was the speed? They have all that data that traditional insurance companies don't have. So I think a lot of people still think Tesla is a car company, but I think that's going to be the biggest surprise people are going to get a few years from now. Oh, that's fascinating. I did not know that. And yeah. in, uh, how recent? That must be very, very new. I, did, I had no idea that they had their own insurance company. Yeah, my friend sent me a screenshot of uh, all the data. It says there's a Tesla insurance model on every Tesla owner in their phone. They have an app and it tracks everything from your average speed, when your speed was, how much did you break? Did you swerve a lot? They put you a, a safety score they assign you based on which your insurance was going to be calculated. Uh, and every minutia of detail, which where do you drive? How long do you stay? Where do you park? They have cameras in there if you're wearing a seatbelt or not. They have all that data. I showed you a screenshot. So I was like, and they've already started offering insurance on Tesla cars, just on their own cars. Yeah. But that's where it's headed. Eventually, the, uh, when all cars do become electric and they have that data, uh, Tesla will be way ahead of everybody else. So I think that's where the insurance industry is ready for disruption. And I think uh, Tesla is going to get it done. Really? Okay. Well, um, only because uh, <laughs> I question electric cars because we've seen a lot of footage where the batteries are dangerous. They'll spontaneously combust. Not only that, but people don't seem to, we don't seem to be talking about the fact that it takes fossil fuels to create electricity. Sure. And there's a lot of problems with the, with Tesla. It, the, it takes many hours to recharge and it doesn't go that long. So I I appreciate what you're saying. And I know you're an expert in this area. So I kind of always felt that it eventually would peter out. Like once the money kind of stopped being put into Tesla, it'd be gone. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think majority of a lot of the subsidies have already ended and Tesla actually had their best quarter, right? They sold more cars than ever before without the subsidies. So I think uh, that that's already shown that they can still keep that going. And then eventually it's just a, it is a trend that is just, in my opinion, technology is like a one-way street. So once you start something, it doesn't go back in the bag, just like cryptocurrencies won't go back in the bag. EVs are not going to go back in the bag. And you're also seeing other uh, car manufacturers also start going the EV route because they realize it's not even about the EV. It's about you giving the person, the consumer, an electric car, but now you have all the data. It's all about the data. They have every little street. They can map out all the streets, where you drove and where the pothole was, where it wasn't. So it's not really about the EV, in my opinion. It's all about uh, the electronics in the car that are capturing all that data. Uh, and uh, another advantage, I guess, with Tesla is that their full-service driving is way ahead of all the competitors. Like the Mercedes doesn't let you uh, change the lane when it's on full self-driving. So it's not really full self-driving. So Tesla is still way ahead of all of those uh, competitors. And I think just like when cars were brand new, there was a lot of problems with engines and you know maintenance and all of that so all of these battery issues all the issues you're seeing it's just a matter of technology that in a year or two they're going to be way better than what they are now and all of those issues will be fixed their chargers will be everywhere across the location which is already happening so i think it's about a it's about a two to three year window where uh, th there's going to be acceleration in the adoption for that as also as battery prices come down car prices come down and Tesla's already lowering their prices. So I think that's one of the things to keep in mind. Um, there's always risks, but traditional auto manufacturers obviously haven't grown at all. They're seeing compression. And um, so that's where the money is flowing into right now. All right.
Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point about the data. So speaking to that, do you use a lot of artificial intelligence and, and some type of, type of uh, technology to gather data to make your decisions for trading? Not so much for trading. Uh, I rely on, like, we have our systems, you know, as guidelines, and then we still have an element of looking at it ourselves in the moment. Although we do have softwares that I've built that help me manage this trade. Now that I'm in it, software can take control and it could do the, you know, the exits for me. I just have to take the trade myself manually. And then I have my software. I can program. I can set it up. It'll do everything and I can go work out basically. Okay. All right. That's, that's great. Um, all right. So uh, we're, we've come to uh, the end of the time. I really appreciate this Nmal. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we, before we leave? Well, I just would like to add that, you know, there's obviously it's one of the very pivotal environments. So I think the decisions that people make about their careers, professions, whatever it is in these next year or two, they're going to be pivotal for the rest of our lives. So I think really pay attention to which field you're in, where that's headed, uh, where that's doing, how could you maybe capitalize on using AI, uh, thinking in terms of those things uh, would really help people. And obviously, if there's they want to get into trading or anything like that, feel free to get in touch with me and I'll be happy to help you out. That is actually a, a great point. And uh, telling people to, you know, the decision they make will affect, really affect in the next uh, few years, just like what we talked about. Things are changing so fast. So yeah. just, it makes me think, um, what are some, where do you see are the most advantageous uh, careers and, and pathways people could go for the next few years? Yeah, I, I think the uh, there's a few careers that I, I think, you know, are not going anywhere. Like if you're in sales, that's not going anywhere. You're still going to need it regardless of the field that you're in. Uh, if you're in marketing, that's not going to go anywhere as well. And those some fields, even stock market investing, it's not going anywhere. Stock market was here before we were born. It's going to be here long after we leave the earth. So there's certain things like that. But if you're in a, in a smaller executive kind of role where, let's say, you are responsible for writing copywriting for websites or you know emails that's already disrupted chat gpt you know already does it um you can just tell it to write you an email write me a sales page for this thing so those smaller jobs are ripe for disruption already and then on a bigger scale of things as i said insurance industry and crypto industry the traditional finance the traditional finance is pretty much on its way out i think three to five years timeline but the traditional finance is out it's out of the way and then decentralized finance uh, will take over. So some of the things people can look into is projects like Algorand uh, by MIT professor. So that's where I'm seeing at least all the academics and all the regulators kind of focus on as maybe the one that CBDCs could be formed upon. Right, right. Okay. Wow. Well, this is, you've given us a lot to think about. I really appreciate this, Senmal. Uh, this is, uh, you're really impressive and uh, I would encourage everyone to go to livetraders.com to check out your work and Prepping for Success. It's on yes. Amazon. Yes, and Prepping for Success on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or I think even Walmart. So. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much and I wish you all the best. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It was good all chatting right. with you.